Amen. You can be seated this morning. Once again, welcome to Grace Church. It's great to have you here with us. Uh, man, we are so uh, honored by your presence, and uh, we just hope and pray that you are greatly blessed by the music, by the message, and encouraged when you leave here this morning. I'm excited about the message today. We're continuing through our study through the book of Esther, and uh, it's going to be hopefully challenging, encouraging, inspiring, all kind of packed into one package today. So, and I hope and pray that uh, you are greatly blessed by the message. I don't know about you, but this past weekend, you know, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I had a great weekend, had a great time, got to spend some extra time with our missionary Kelly Kosky um, uh, to Africa. And uh, it was just a wonderful time. By the way, I just want to give you a quick update. Uh, we've taken two trips out to uh, the Transkei in South Africa. And the Bible college there that they have going, um, they have actually had to turn people away because they've had so many um, students enrolling into the college. And they made a very critical decision, and that decision was to triple the size of the college. So they had a, roughly about 20 students, and so they are um, tripling the size of the college. They're going to be running over 60 students this year. And so that means more desks, more chairs, um, you know, more housing, more food. And so the church, because of your generosity, the church um, uh, sent a check to uh, the Bible college for five grand to help with that. So... Uh, just wanted to say thank you, church, and uh, it's awesome to see what God is doing in Africa there. Uh, a lot of people um, meeting Jesus Christ, and they're wanting to follow Christ, and they're committing to go to the Bible college to be trained so that they can go back out into their villages and uh, spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. So um, I got to spend some time with Kelly. It was wonderful, and, and on Monday morning, he and I actually met up with a friend for coffee, and it was it was awesome, man. I was just kind of, I got to be an observer, just got to sit, enjoy some coffee and listen to conversation. But it was really cool how Kelly started out a conversation. He and, and a friend of ours, they didn't know each other. And uh, Kelly asked a question that was just so powerful. He used three words that were just, gosh, it was, it just kind of rocked me. And the, and the three words that he asked was, who are you? He just said, who are you? And for the next 45 minutes or so, I got to hear this man share his story of who he was. And it was just so fascinating. It was so enjoyable. And it was amazing to hear this man's story, to hear this man's life journey, to learn more about he and his family. And it all started with three little words. Who are you? And that's the title of this morning's message. And I want to ask you that question this morning, because I believe it is critical in our faith. It is critical in our life. Who are you? This question is so powerful, and yet I think it might scare a lot of us. I think it might scare many of us because maybe you don't know who you are. You're like, I don't have a clue. I don't know who I am. Or maybe you don't like who you are. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I know exactly who I am and I can't stand the picture I see. I can't stand who I am. Sadly, I think many of us, we accept what others think about us. We accept what others say about us. We accept what, how others have labeled us or how others have defined us. M many of our identities, many of 
many of us, you know, we think who we are, it's wrapped up in our failures. It's wrapped up in how badly we've screwed up in the past. You know, our identity is wrapped up in the sports team that we didn't make. You know, it's wrapped up in the person we didn't marry, the life I should have lived, the job I should have landed, the ministry I should be leading, the mission field I should be serving on, the mistake I made in that moment where I wasn't thinking straight. I was Maybe I was drunk and I just... That, that mistake has haunted me ever since. You know, and on and on it goes. Our identity is wrapped up in so many different things. Some of us never really figure out who we are. Some of us never figure out who we're supposed to be. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Who am I? Many of us, I think, are right in the middle of an identity crisis right now. A couple weeks ago, we saw Esther, too, had an identity crisis. If you remember, she had two names. She had a Persian name, and she had a Hebrew name. Her Persian name was Esther, and her Hebrew name was Hadassah. So the question I asked a couple weeks ago was, which one is it, right? Who, Who was she? Was she Persian, or was she Hebrew? Her adopted father, if you remember, Mordecai, commanded her to keep the fact that she was a Jew a secret. Like, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone your identity. Don't tell anyone that you identify with the people of God. So who was Esther loyal to? Was she loyal to King Xerxes, or was she loyal to the King of Kings, Jesus Christ? You know, if she sells out to Xerxes... She'll have the good life. She'll have all the comforts her heart's, you know, her heart desires. She'll be able to live in the palace. It'll be just plush, man. It'll be great living. But if she gives her life to God, things are going to get really uncomfortable, and God is going to lead her to do risky and dangerous things. Esther's been conflicted. She doesn't know who she is. How many of us are like that? We're just blazing through life. We're just going from here to there. And we really don't know who we are. We don't know why we exist. I don't know why I am here. Many of us are conflicted. We don't know who we are. We don't know why we exist. And it leads to a point of great frustration, I believe, for many people. Let me just say, who you are makes all the difference. Who you are changes everything. So let me ask again, who are you? Who are you? And I pray this morning that the story of Esther will help you to know who you are. That's what I've been praying for, and that's the direction that I'm heading. And I pray that you are greatly encouraged by the message this morning. So let me make sure that we're all on the same page. Let me catch us all up to speed in the story of Esther. Okay, there's a king named Xerxes. He rules over a kingdom in Persia. It's the largest kingdom in the world. Xerxes is the most powerful man on the planet right now in this time period. Many consider him to be a god. He divorces his wife in a drunken rage, so now he needs a new wife, right? And if you remember, he holds an enormous beauty pageant, and hundreds of women are contestants. And the winner of this beauty pageant becomes the queen of Persia. Uh, The winner of this insane beauty pageant was a Jewish woman named Esther. She wins the beauty pageant. She becomes the queen of 
of Persia. Uh, Esther was an orphan girl. Her parents died. She was adopted by her older cousin Mordecai. And uh, the villain in the story, there's a villain. His name is Haman. He's one of Xerxes' great rulers. Haman loves power. He loves glory. He's full of pride, full of himself. And if you remember, a decree was made by King Xerxes that everyone must bow down to Haman. And Mordecai, Esther's adopted father, makes a bold, brave decision. He makes the decision not to bow down to Haman. So everyone bows down to Haman except one man. Uh, Mordecai, he won't bow. It's a, it's a critical moment in the story. So this sends Haman into a rage. And once he finds out that Mordecai is Jewish, he makes a plan not only to kill Mordecai, but to kill all of Mordecai's people. Um, and it's roughly 15 million people. He, he wants to kill all the Jews in the kingdom of Persia. So Xerxes approves the plan for genocide, and everything looks grim. Everything is just in an awful state. And last week, if you remember, Mordecai inspired Esther to do the right thing by telling her that God had created her for such a time as this. And Esther decided to do the right thing. And and we finished last week. We left the scene where she said, I will go to the king, and if I perish, I perish. Such an amazing, bold statement um, in the book of Esther. So today... Something beautiful and amazing happens in chapter 5. Esther finds her true identity. She finds who she is. So let's pick up the story in Esther chapter 5, verse 1. And it says, On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes. This is just a beautiful picture. She, She dresses up for the occasion. She's getting ready to go before the king. And I believe in this setting right here, it's showing that she is respecting and honoring a king who really doesn't deserve it. She's she's showing respect and honor, even though it may be undeserved. So she stood in her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, She won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Let me just give you a quick side note, all right? If you have a pen, if you have your Bible, um, or if you have your tablet or your iPhone, whatever, make a note in your margin, and uh, in the margin of your Bible, I would like you to write Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, and it says this, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Xerxes, though he was in control, though he was the most powerful man on planet earth, though he could do whatever he willed, was being directed like a river through a canyon. God was in control of the situation. And let me just say, no king... No dictator, no ruler, no president has ever intimidated God. Ever. God can handle anyone. Anyone. God can handle your husband. He can handle him. God can handle your pastor. God can handle your boss. He can even handle your ex. I know, crazy, right? He can. 
Believe it or not, in these first two verses, we see Esther find her identity. She doesn't cower in fear. She doesn't cringe. She stands in front of the king with boldness. She's not trembling. She's, she's showing tremendous courage and strength. She's standing tall, confident. She's following the Lord. This is the same woman, if you remember, who couldn't make a decision for herself. This is the same woman who was afraid to be identified with God's people. The same woman who was consumed with the good life in the palace. Sometimes she lived for God, sometimes she didn't. This is the same woman who didn't know who she was. But here we see Esther no longer has an identity crisis. She steps forward with confidence to follow the Lord wherever He leads. Listen, church, you're you're not defined by your feelings. You're not defined by your successes or your failures. You're not defined by the opinions of others or by circumstances. You're not defined by the car you drive or the money you make or the house you say you own when the bank is really the one that owns it. You're not defined by those things. Those things don't define you. You are who God says you are. That's who you are. And I want to encourage you, start believing what God says about you. Through Christ, you are a son. You are a daughter of God, the King of all kings. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 21 through 22, it says this, It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and has identified us as His own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything He has promised. You're defined by God and God alone, and He identifies you as His own. And when King Jesus makes a promise, it will come to pass. It's a guarantee. So through faith in Jesus, you're identified with Jesus and you have the power of the Holy Spirit living within you. You are God's precious child. So think of, I don't know how else to say this, but I have four boys and, I, and that's where my mind went to. I'm like, think of your children and how much you love your children. Now, times that by infinity and now you're getting close to how much God loves you. Man, Esther could have run in fear. She could have continued to live the good life, forsaking the called life. Church, don't be so consumed with the good life that you forsake the called life. Esther finds her true identity. In doing so, now she's in a position to save a nation. Justin, like, what's the big deal, man? What's the big deal about your identity? What's so important about knowing who you are? I would say if you don't know who you are, then you're vulnerable to others telling you who you are. If you don't know who you are, then you're going to listen to the lies of Satan and end up becoming something you were never meant to be. The truth is, You are who God says you are. 
No one else has a vote in the matter. Esther takes a huge risk in going before the king, but she finds favor. He holds out the golden scepter. She's going to keep her head for another day. Verse 3. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to half of my kingdom. Okay, this was a common thing for kings to say in this day. He would never give her half the kingdom, okay? And she would be very foolish to ask. Xerxes, what he's doing is he's trying to appear very generous. And I'm such a great king. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. This is brilliant. This is amazing. Notice what Esther doesn't do. She doesn't point a finger at Xerxes and demand her way. She doesn't try to manipulate him with a bunch of tears and she doesn't get all emotional. She very calmly invites Xerxes to a party. This guy loves to party. So she invites him to a party. She's brilliant. Verse 5. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly. I want a party so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. Like She was facing death. She could have died, but now she's sitting at a banquet that she's prepared. See how God is working? Xerxes and Haman may be the most powerful men in Persia, but God is in control of the situation. And by the way, Esther hasn't told Xerxes what's troubling her. She understands the value of respect. She understands the value of timing. She understands the value of patience. She doesn't run in screaming like, I'm a Jew, Haman's Hitler, and Xerxes, you need to do something about this. Right? She doesn't do that. She's patient. She's wise. She waits for the right moment. As they're sitting there together at the feast, Xerxes brings up the matter again, verses 6 through 8. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request... Let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Gosh, she is showing amazing wisdom, amazing patience, precise patience. She's trusting God. She's trusting God's timing. Like, who who is this Esther woman? My word, the transformation that we're seeing in her life is unbelievable. Esther knows who she is. She's no longer afraid. She's no longer believing the lies. You know, you're not smart enough, Esther. Esther, you're just a pretty face. You don't have enough courage. You could never do that, Esther. Esther, no one would ever believe a woman. No one will ever follow you, Esther. Esther, you're... What are you doing? Are you you're not good enough, gang? What you do will flow from who you are. We don't work 
for our identity. We work from our identity. And when you understand your identity as a follower of Jesus Christ, everything changes. What seemed impossible now becomes possible. So I have to ask again, who are you? Who are you? In the last part of this chapter, we're going to see a contrast. We're going to see a different example. We're going to see a great example of someone who's consumed with the wrong identity. We're going to learn that having the wrong identity is a death sentence. So let's pick it up in verse 9. And Haman, okay, everybody boo and hiss. Boo. That's uh, boo. Okay, he's the villain. All right, so Haman, he went out that day joyful and glad of heart. Okay, he's rich, he's powerful, he's, he's just gotten done partying with the king of Persia. He's enjoying the good life. But when Haman, boo. Just making sure you're awake. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Haman has everything, but it's still not enough. It's never enough. He wants glory and he wants the praise of men. He wants to be the top dog. And Mordecai not bowing is like fingernails in the heart of Haman, like fingernails on a chalkboard. But look at courageous Mordecai. Remember, he was the one who was spineless and passive, and now he's like a lion. Despite Haman's power, his influence, Mordecai's not intimidated. He knows God is greater than Haman. So when Haman walks by, Mordecai's not impressed. The defiance of Mordecai makes Haman furious. But this time, Haman bites his tongue and he decides to revel in his own glory. Look at verse 10. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home and he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches and the number of his sons and all the promotions with which the king had honored him. And now he had advanced him above and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Haman's identity is consumed with him. It's consumed with his glory and his riches and his power, his ego, his pride. And it all ends in death. Haman calls for his friends, and they're probably his friends because he has money, and he calls for his wife, and he, he starts to tell them about his private dinner with the king and the queen. And uh, he starts just talking, and it's me, 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 brag, 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 yada, yada, yada. We all know these people, right? I like to call them me monsters. It's all about me, 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 me. Everything's about them, and they know nothing about you. Every story is about them. And they don't know anything about you. Every conversation is about them. And they're, they're always trying to top whatever your story is, right? It's like, it's almost like they're watching your lips move. You know, you, 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 me. 
Right? And you see the difference? You're down here and I'm up here. We know those people. That's Haman. He's always talking about him, himself, and he. Verse 12, the blabbering continues. Then Haman added, that's not all. I've got not one, but three houses and the fastest chariots in Persia and so many children I can't keep counting. They're all going to great colleges and blah, blah, blah. And the king calls me every night asking for advice and he promoted me to second in charge. And did I tell you that I have the fastest chariots in charge and me, 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 blah, blah, blah. And then he says, that's not all. Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to the banquet she prepared for us. And she has invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. And then he added, this guy won't shut up. But this is all worth nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew just sitting there at the palace gate. You would think with with all his power, all his wealth, all his prestige, you would think he would be satisfied. How many of us, man, we are chasing after the wrong thing. We're chasing after wealth. I just want to be known. I want to be the top dog. I want a bunch of followers. I want it to be about me. And we're chasing it and we're chasing it and we're chasing it. And the Bible's giving us a crystal clear example that says, don't chase the wrong thing. It will end in death. When it's all about you, nothing will fully satisfy. Outside of God, nothing will fill the void. Church, listen, clawing for your own glory, your ego, your power, your pride, it will always end in death. The Scripture says, it's a very powerful verse, God opposes the proud. It's all about you. I don't know about you, but I don't want God against me. That's, that's not a good position to be in. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Haman's wife finally has enough. So she jumps in and she says, like, why don't you do something about Mordecai? Like, I'm tired of hearing you talk about this guy. Really tired. Why don't you do something about this Mordecai? Do something about him. So Haman's wife, Zeresh, and all his friends suggested, set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall, and in the morning ask the king to impale Mordecai on it. When this is done, you can go on your merry way to the banquet with the king. And this pleased Haman, and he ordered the pole set up. So in Persia, they didn't hang their victims. They impaled them. And a stake was thrust into the body, and then the body was hung on a pole. And in this case, seven and a half stories high. The Persians invented crucifixion. The Romans perfected it. Haman, he loves this idea. This is brilliant. 
He loves us. He wants Mordecai to pay. And he wants everyone to see that if you defy the great, Mordecai, or the great Haman, if you don't bow to me, you're going to pay the ultimate price. At this point in the story, Haman's still in charge. Many troubles still face Esther and Mordecai and the people of God. But can you sense the tide changing? Can you sense that, that something is, is happening, that the tide is changing? Even though troubles are many, Esther's at peace. Mordecai's courageous and a good plan is in motion. But Haman, even though he's in charge, we see restlessness. We see a lack of peace, rage, and evil at its worst. Haman has allowed good things to become God things. Let me ask you, church, is it it wrong to have respect? No. Is it wrong to have a good life? to enjoy the benefits of your labor? No, the book of Ecclesiastes says, work hard, enjoy the fruits of your labor. There's nothing wrong with the good life. Is it wrong to be wealthy? No. But when we begin to worship those things and place those things above God, it opens the door to the most vile, darkest evil. Allowing good things to become God things always results in death. So your identity, like we see with Haman, it can be consumed with me and my ego and my pride. But let me just give a different perspective too. On the flip side, your identity can be consumed with condemnation. I think this is where many Christians live. Sadly, and I believe it's worse. Mordecai and Esther, they could have listened to the lies of the enemy, the great accuser, Satan. Mordecai could have listened to the voices, you know, from the dark side that said, you let your daughter marry the most wicked man on earth. You're a coward, Mordecai. You didn't stand and fight. You're a passive leader, Mordecai. Esther, you're you're just a beautiful face. You're not smart enough. No one will ever listen to a woman. If you approach the king, you're going to die. And if you don't die, you're going to lose all your comforts. Many many of us are, are chained, imprisoned by condemnation. We we listen to the lies of the enemy and we believe those lies. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough for my husband, for my children. I, I should be doing more. I, I'm not mom enough. I'm, I'm not good. I'm not a good enough mom. God could never forgive me. What if? What if they find out about my past? I'm not leading well. I'm not good enough for my wife. I don't give my kids enough time. I don't make enough money. It seems like everyone else has their act together. Like, what's wrong with me? I'm not good enough for God to use. And on and on and on and on it goes. Church, let me suggest, instead of being consumed with what you're not, I'm not good enough, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. 
What if instead you focused on who you are? Me, for example, I can just begin to believe the lies and get to the point where I'm like, I'm checking out. I'm done with this. I'm not good enough. But what if instead I focus on, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. I'm a friend. All of a sudden now my my focus has shifted. Instead of focusing on what I'm not, I'm focusing on what I am. I am a son of the Almighty God. What about you, Mom? What if you focus on the fact, I'm, I'm a wife. I'm a mother. I'm a grandmother. I'm a daughter of the King. And doesn't it, it just already, I feel inspired. I feel ready for a fight for the kingdom, you know? I'm, I'm, my, my mindset's different now, but if, if I live in this condemnation, all of a sudden now I'm weak. I'm on the sidelines. I'm wanting to check out. I'm wanting to quit. Allowing condemnation to beat you down makes you ineffective. It makes you on the sidelines. Condemnation kills the joy. It fills you with shame. But here's the truth. The truth is, you're not good enough. Like, wait a minute, this is conflicting messages. The truth is, you're not good enough. The truth is, you can't save yourself. But it's a good thing to admit that. And I want to encourage you, don't forget two simple words that changes everything. And those two words are, but God. You're not good enough, but God. You can't save yourself, but God. You're spiritually dead, but God can make you spiritually alive. I can't do it, but God lives in you and He'll get you through it. The situation is impossible, but God makes everything possible. I'm so weak, but God is strong. I feel so lost and alone, But God knows exactly where you are. You may only see what's directly in front of you, and it looks hopeless, but God sees the big picture. You may not have everything under control, but God does. But God. Who are you? That was the Texas way of saying it. I'll say it, Colorado. Who are you? Who you are changes everything. Start believing what God says about you. And let me just say, God is pleased with how He created you. He didn't mess up. He didn't make a mistake. God is the one who defines you. So man, when you embrace your identity in Christ, in Christ it equals life. You want death? Just be all about you. Just keep telling your stories that we've all heard a hundred times. And I don't want to hear it again. Just keep doing that. And it ends in death. But you want life? Man, start living for the King. Say yes to the adventures that He takes you on. Say yes to the risks that He leads you to take. Say yes to the King and you will live life to the fullest and abundantly and you'll experience things you've never experienced before. Who you are changes 
everything. Everything. I'm going to invite the band to come up this morning. And, and while they're making their way up, I just want to invite you to take a step. If you're sitting here this morning and you're like, man, I don't know who I am. I want to be a son of God. I want to be a daughter of God. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. I want to encourage you to grab this card. It's located in the seat pocket in front of you and fill it out. And on the back, it just says, I would like to take the next step. And just fill in one of those circles. Feel free to add one. If, if you're like, I don't see a step that I'd like to take, but I'd like to add one, add one. It's, this is your journey, okay? But what we will do is uh, when you drop it off in, at the Welcome Center, when you leave, a pastor will, will contact you. And we'd like to support you and help you and shepherd you through that step to, to really uh, draw you and help you get closer to Jesus Christ. Try to answer your questions. So fill this out. Take a next step. And uh, as the band plays, they're going to sing just a, a powerful song for us this morning. I want you to use this time to worship God. I want you to use this time to fill out the card. And I just pray that you'll make a decision to be identified with God. I pray that you'll find who you are this morning. And when asked the question, who are you? Without hesitation, you'll be able to say with great confidence, I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the King. Man, wouldn't that be awesome? Let me close in prayer. Father God, I know all of us are capable of being just like Haman. We find great encouragement knowing that we can experience a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of destiny through Jesus Christ. And Holy Spirit, I pray for those this morning who are considering, those who are questioning, those who are searching. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would show them who you are. Help them to know who they are is not marked by what they've done or what's been done to them, but rather what's been done for them. Jesus, thank you for saving us. We're so grateful that you are in charge, that you are the king. In Jesus' name, amen.